right. All right. It's been a long quarter, Lizzie. It has. Three whole months. Three whole months. I feel a lot older than I did before. A lot has happened the last three months. And we're here to talk about all the movies that we use to escape our reality. Hell yeah, let's do it. So Sam and I, for this episode of Fan Service, took this idea that we saw on TikTok from a user named Rachel Wilbury, um, where she does like a quarter roundup of all the movies she's seen the last three months. And I just love her idea. What she does is really cute. So we're going to attempt to do our little version (laughs) of that and walk you through all the movies or some of the movies we've seen since April. Yeah, absolutely. The keyword being attempt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is an experiment. So bear with us. But I am pretty excited to do this. Like you, it was your idea actually. And like starting my list and going through and adding all the movies I was watching was both gratifying and also a little embarrassing. I'm like, oh my God, now I'm being held accountable for every dumb movie choice I've made. Absolutely. And the the person who inspired us, Rachel Wilbury, does a slideshow, like a presentation yes. in accompaniment with her roundup. And so we're doing that also. So if you're a Patreon and you've subscribed to the video element, you get to see that slideshow as well, but we'll also be like doing it verbally as well. Yes. And you can check our TikTok. We'll be posting little snippets of the conversation, the riveting conversation we're about to have. So I'm going to present first to Lizzie's quarter two movie roundup, y'all. Yo. <laughs> it's so funny that you said that. Really? Yeah. Why? You'll see. Okay. <laughs> okay. So ready to go, Sam? I've never been more ready for anything in my entire life. I cannot remember the last time I made a PowerPoint and it was actually really fun. <laughs> I stayed up late intentionally to be like, ooh, it's like I have a deadline again for history class. Are you getting my Virgo? My Virgo runoff is hitting you eventually. I really have to show you the chart I made. Like, I Virgoed the fuck, (laughs) the house down. It's color coordinated. (laughs) Yes. All right, so we've we've had our shot of alcohol and we've got our beers ready. Let's get into all the movies I've seen the last three months. Let's go. So this quarter, I watched 43 total movies. Though I had 51 total watches, and you can thank this podcast for that because I usually (laughs) end up watching the movies at least two, sometimes three times, Mm -hmm. so I can properly walk through the plot. And in fact, 40% or 19 of the movies I watched this quarter were for the podcast. Wow. it's a lot. Yeah, a good chunk of mine were also for the podcast. And I do watch them a couple of times. That's why when I watch the movie, I ask my girlfriend if she wants to watch it with me. And I'm like, I'm doing that terrible thing where I pause it every five minutes and take notes. Scribble, scribble, scribble. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then this was something that kind of surprised me, but most of the movies I watched this quarter were ones I'd already seen. So 27 of the movies, or 63%, were rewatches. So I only watched 16 new movies. And I will contribute that to the fact that I needed a lot of, like, comforting feelings <laughs> the last three months. And I definitely turned to TV for that. Yeah, re- rewatches is definitely comforting. I, a lot of mine in this quarter are rewatches as well. I just want something familiar. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not trying to accidentally find a new trigger. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, so I want to jump into some of the noteworthy parts of my watches, and if you judge me for that, you are a bad person. <laughs> Let me be a bad person, bitch. I'm going to judge you. Been... She's like, oh, you go first. I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> I oh, know what sure. this is. <laughs> I feel like I'm being set up. It's a trap. So my highest rated movies this quarter were Everything Everywhere All at Once, 
and Girl Interrupted. And then I had a tie for third between Fantastic Fungi, Happy Together, and Miss Congeniality, all tied with four and a half stars. Um, and then I also looked up on Letterboxd, just out of curiosity, which of the movies I watched were the highest rated. And it was pretty similar. Both Everything Everywhere All at Once and Happy Together were both the top rated of the ones I'd watched on Letterboxd. And then you take out Girl Interrupted and add Chungking Express. So the people love Wong Kar Wai. I love Wong Kar Wai. I watched three of his films this quarter as well. Um, so <laughs> my top three makes me look pretty like smart, right? Yeah, your top three is definitely curated. I can't lie. But I mean, the, uh, that's valid. I did expect that, you know, Miss Congeniality and Fantastic Fungi <laughs> wouldn't be the highest rated on Letterboxd. But all, all, all of the movies are great. I would give all of them five stars. Yeah, these are all four plus star mm -hmm. rated films in my book. I watched, I gave Chunking Express four stars, so it was pretty close to my tops. But you just can't beat Miss Congeniality. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, you can't. Yeah, and we just did an episode on that, so if you haven't listened to it, we go deep into the dogma of that universe. We go so deep that it made me question whether or not the writers had any idea. <laughs> what they were doing <laughs> they did not they did not it was a pure accident and an accident we clocked so speaking of the best movie i've seen this quarter it's also probably the best movie i will see this year it's everything everywhere all at once and it's a film i saw three times in theaters and the only film that i rewatched that wasn't for the podcast if you haven't seen this you need to fucking go see it right now yeah i think their box office like reporting has to be like boosted by the fact that if someone saw it once, they probably saw it multiple times. Yeah. I think I was with you on your second watch, right? Yes. Second watch, and then I went back with my partner for the third watch. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you still cry? Oh, I cried. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. I cried the hardest the first time, but harder the third time than the second time. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you why. No, we should do some sort of experiment to see. How many tears we cry. I actually started on Letterboxd. Because I, I enter my movies that I watch pretty religiously, but I made a tag for ones that I cry in. And it's more often than it's the most used tag. Yeah, I have like four tags. One is like seen in theaters, seen with Lizzie, <laughs> seen with my girlfriend, and made me cry. I wonder which one has the most this quarter. <laughs> I might remember to ask you that. It's probably seen with Lizzie. We watch a shit ton of movies. We, we really do. So... Moving on to my lowest rated movies this quarter, uh, that included Jurassic World Dominion, which someone on Letterboxd pointed this out. The other Jurassic World movies are like Jurassic World colon blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. This one had the audacity to just be Jurassic World Dominion. No colon or anything. As a person that has to deal with information formatting, <laughs> that is so fucking annoying. I just watched Scream 5 and they had the audacity to title it Scream. What the fuck is wrong with them? What the fuck is wrong with them? There's already a movie called Scream and it's the first one of this franchise. Why would you do that? What Was it like similar in plot enough that they could call it Scream and it's like no. a redoing? No. No. Okay, I always thought that they should have called it Scream 5, but the 5 could be an S, so it's like Screams. 5 Cream? 5 Cream. <laughs> yeah, both are 5s. Yeah, you've 5 Cream 5. <laughs> That's like my – I'm going to make that my new – my handle on Instagram or something. Yeah, 5 Cream 5. So 
alongside Jurassic World No Colon Dominion uh, as lowest rated this quarter. I also had X, which yep. we devoted our entire first episode of fan service to shit talking in great length. I still have more to say. After that, I did not get it all out. An hour was not enough time for me to get all my thoughts out. Um, and a movie that I think is just as bad is 27 Dresses. Have you seen this movie? Starring Unfortunately. It's so bad. It's so uniquely bad that I often wonder, like, how – I often wonder – I often – Getting my sex in the city. But, like, how how is this ranked with other rom-coms? It's just not on par. I think it's kind of forgotten. I don't think it's a fan favorite. If, if anyone out there is like, oh, my God, that's one of my favorite rom-coms, like, no judgment. But I want to know why because it is so – tragically problematic we want to study you if you like this film please come to the pod office we want to learn about you we'll give you a small stipend uh for your time Mm -hmm. if you let us experiment on you socially (laughs) and physically yes so in my list letterbox lowest rated included jurassic world dominion (laughs) (laughs) everyone hates this movie Whatever. Um, But it also included two other films, uh, The Haunting in Connecticut and just the regular The Haunting. (laughs) People don't like to be haunted, apparently. (laughs) No, they don't like cinematic hauntings. Of these two, which one do you like more, The Haunting or The Haunting in Connecticut? Because we watched both of these together. I personally showed Lizzie The Haunting in Connecticut because it's one of my guilty pleasures. I really enjoy that movie. I think it has more substance than The Haunting, but I think you can say that about any movie would have more substance than The Haunting. So Haunting in Connecticut gets my vote for sure. Yeah. I was surprised it was in the bottom three. So that either means I didn't watch that many bad movies (laughs) go for me, or it is bad and I'm okay with that. (laughs) All right. So my most watched genre this quarter was no surprise, going to be my most watched genre for every quarter, and that is classic rom-coms. Yay! Yay! I'm glad that you put Princess Diaries 2 and not Princess Diaries because I do believe the second one is a rom-com and the first one is not. You know, it it has more substance than a Mm rom-com. Like, I feel like a rom-com is more about, like, feeling that it is a rom-com rather than it being actually labeled. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. It has to be the central prerogative of the film, whereas Princess Diaries 1, it's like, she's becoming a princess. That's its whole movie. And the second one, she has to find a husband to take the throne. So that's like, it's like matchmaking, I need to find a husband sort of vibes. I would love to do that movie on the podcast, specifically Princess Diaries 2. I think it's really gay. Well, Raven Simone is in it. Yes. And I think that the English man that she was initially betrothed to is a gay man. Fruity. (laughs) Fruity. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Great. Another subset of films that I watched this quarter were ones specifically chosen to soothe the pain of the Roe versus Wade decision. Those four films include My Big Fat Greek Wedding, um, the Linda Ronstadt documentary, which I cannot (laughs) recommend enough. It is so good. As well as Promising Young Woman and Obvious Child, which those two films did not soothe me as much as I needed to be soothed, but they were choices made deliberately for that purpose. Yeah, they're more in the vein. Whereas Linda Ronstadt is a bit of a wild card. Do you think she knew that this would be soothing you? You know, I think so. I think Linda Ronstadt is a woman for women and did more. She's like one of those icons that doesn't realize she's an icon, 
but is just truly to her core, like such a good, morally divine person and also took a lot of risk in her career. I, I think Linda Ronstadt is fucking phenomenal. Blue Bayou is one of my favorite songs of all time. So yeah, I could definitely see Linda Ronstadt being like, yeah, I, I mean, I agreed to make this documentary to soothe the pained hearts of the generation after me. <laughs> so for that, Linda, I thank you. Thank you, Linda, for your service. <laughs> so some surprise favorites this quarter are two films I had never seen before and I just kind of put on on a whim and ended up totally enthralled. Uh, one of them is The Sweetest Thing starring Cameron Diaz, Hell Christina yeah. Applegate, and Selma Blair. This movie is fucking bonkers. It is yes. out of its mind. And it owns it so well. Like it's if you listed all the things that happened to this movie randomly, you couldn't tell me that all of those things would happen in the same movie. It's yes. so fucking weird. They just break out into song about big giant penises in a Chinese food restaurant. <laughs> too big to fit in here. Amazing. And then another super surprise film that I did not expect to like, but I should have known better, is Con Air. Have you seen Con Air? I have not. I'd like to phone a friend. Uh, Lee Garcia, producer, have you seen Con Air? I have. It's been a while, but um, uh, I think we might be uh, the same in our love for Nick Cage. Love. Love. He's pretty phenomenal in Con Air. Wow. And it's got Malkovich and <laughs> and what's his name from Being John Malkovich? Yeah. Um, Cusack. 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 Wow. It's basically Being John Malkovich in like a totally different part of the universe. <laughs> Um, I actually watched this after I watched Being John Malkovich for the pod. So I, maybe that contributed to why I enjoyed it so much. I was on like a little Malkovich high because his character is great. He's like a super smart, techie psychopath. Do you know the premise of this movie? Not even a little bit. Could you guess from the words con air what this movie's about? They're ex-cons in the air. Yes, exactly. It's this big military plane that's being used to... For some reason, fly a bunch of con men, like the biggest, baddest con men in the world, from one location to another, and they like take over the plane. You don't and try say. to escape. <laughs> yeah, you don't say. It's but so much more happens. What is like the hyper masculine version of camp? Because it is so camp, but so hyper masculine. Uh, Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. So highly recommend. And then some surprise flops from this quarter. Um, a 2022 <laughs> release called I Want You Back starring Jenny Slate and Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny. This movie was so fucking boring. It was like two hours and some change long. No rom-com should be that long. It's a rom-com? Yes. Technically, it's like two people get broken up with and try to like win their lovers back but end up like falling in love together. In the end, it's so stupid. And I love Jenny Slate. I love Jenny Slate too. And you probably rolled off of Obvious Child and were like, mm -hmm. I need some more Jenny Slate. And Marcel the Cell. And Marcel the Cell. And Marcel. Marcel. Let me get there. <laughs> and Marcel the Shell with shoes on hadn't yet been released. Exactly. And it was a true disappointment. And then a movie that I made Sam watch because. Uh, from watching it before, I liked it more. And that movie is It's Complicated, starring Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin. But this time, it didn't really do it for me. And maybe it was Sam negging it the whole time we were watching <laughs> or or what, but it kind of fell flat. 
Okay, so let me tell you guys a little story. I got violently drunk at Lizzie's house, and then the next day to soothe myself, I was like, I'll give myself a treat. I'll order some Chipotle. It ended up being delivered to Lizzie's house, so I had to go over there to get my Chipotle. (laughs) She goes, while you're here, let's put on It's Complicated. So I was in this state of delirium and dehydration watching this movie that I think is batshit crazy. (laughs) Out of its mind. (laughs) So Lizzie's probably trying to enjoy the film and I'm just like, what? What is this whole fucking film? I don't know. So you remembered liking it the first time and just not the second? Yes. I I like movies that are for like, you know, people of an advanced age still need rom-coms. And I, I like that this movie gives them that. And Meryl Streep is just so charming. But you know who? It was Steve Martin for me. You pointed out that Steve Martin <sighs> looks like rubber person, like <laughs> rubber skin stretched over like bones. And it really freaked me out and kind of ruined it for me because you're right. You're so right about that. He looks like he's made out of clay. Poor Lizzie watching this movie. I'm just like in the corner like, he looks like he's made out of clay. <laughs> like scarfing down a burrito bowl. <laughs> yeah, there is no way you could have liked this movie with me there. I'm sorry. I'll probably watch it again later in my life and return to loving it. But For this time, it didn't suit me. All right, so some repeat offenders, as I like to call them from this (laughs) quarter. My most watched actor was Ryan Reynolds. And that's because I went on a short Deadpool stint for the podcast. We have an episode on the supposedly queer Deadpool character in the Marvel Universe. Um, But also I watched Just Friends because I think it's hilarious. And it still made me laugh as much as it ever has. Just Friends... You can say what you want about that film, but it is a vessel for Anna Faris. Yes. Mm-hmm. She deserved a mm-hmm. spinoff. <laughs> Holy shit. Why isn't she in more movies? I don't understand. She's the funniest person I've ever seen. America's not ready for America's her. America's never been ready. She She's like the Jennifer's body of our time. Like, she just came too early and people just didn't get her. They're like, you can't be hot and funny and stupid. It's like, yes, you can. You could be smart and stupid and hot at the yeah. same time. And mm-hmm. she is proof of that. It's true. She intersects perfectly, those three. Mm-hmm. And my most watched director of this quarter, not by choice necessarily. Well, I mean by choice. No one forced me to watch these. But <laughs> I was invited to be on a friend's podcast and we were discussing licorice pizza. And so I decided to watch a few other PTA movies just to kind of get a sense of the vibe. Because I've seen all these movies before by him, but, I, you know, it's been a while. So I watched Licorice Pizza, Punch Drunk Love, and Magnolia. And I'm going to get crucified for saying this, but I did not enjoy any of them. I don't like that, ma'am. I realized in this quarter I don't actually like P.T. Anderson. I just like Joaquin Phoenix enough to think that The Master is perfect because it is. Yeah, The Master, I think, is his best work, if I had to say. But I think it's for a lot of different reasons. I think it's You know, the script was there, the actors were there, whereas like Licorice Pizza was just a terrible experience as a viewer. I truly loathe that film. Like the more I watch it, the more I do not like it. (laughs) And if you want to hear me argue with someone about it for two hours, a dear friend of mine, Alex Aaron, has a podcast called The 180 Rule, and he'll be releasing the episode (laughs) soon where we discuss Licorice Pizza. Um... I did my research, and I stand by my choices that this movie is trash. It's garbage. Yes. So sad to say that that was my most watched director, but followed very closely by Wong Kar Wai, who is an actually fantastic director. So 
you know, I didn't waste so many hours. Um, and now we come to a segment I like to call five characters from these movies that I would like to kiss or that I find extremely hot because there's a typo here. So number five, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park <laughs> Dominion or the whole Jurassic Park universe, truly. And before you ask me, is it his hair? Is it his voice? Is it his leather jacket? The answer is yes. <laughs> I just find this man totally insanely hot. They knew what they were doing by putting him in this one. They dangle him over us and we just have to watch these fucking movies. Like a carrot. I, I really did go to this movie in hopes that the like, because in, not to ruin it, but you can watch the trailer and figure it out. But in Jurassic Park Dominion, they bring back all the OGs like Laura Dern and then um, Jeff Goldblum and whatever the other guy's name is, who's great. And <laughs> their scenes are easily the best in that movie. I don't give a flying fuck about what Andy Dwyer is doing that entire movie. Agreed. And they actually looked and acted great, I think. If you want more Jeff Goldblum, might I suggest Cat vs. Dogs? Oh, my God. He plays like a mad scientist dad, yes. and he's equally as hot in that film, but it's it's less about dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> and more about cats that can talk. Secret agent cats versus secret agent dogs. I had that on VHS growing up. That's a classic. Classic. All right, so number four on my list of characters I find extremely hot, Susanna Kaysen from Girl Interrupted. And no, I'm not quite sure if I want to be her or if I want to fuck her. I'm confused about it. So if you have any enlightenment, you just let me know. That is the question of the century. Do I want to kiss Susanna Kaysen or do I want to look like Susanna Kaysen? <laughs> I'm going to go with both. Yes. Um, number three on my list is Theodora from The Haunting, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it was hung on the fact that she was hot. And you can't argue with it. She's the hottest person in that whole movie. Yes. And openly bisexual, which I love what she did with that character. <laughs> that character had no reason to be that sexual and sexualized, but I was here for it. She is truly one of the hottest women ever. So love that for me. Number two is Tony Lung from any of the Wong Kar Wai universe films uh, and if you can see my images here, I have images from Happy Together and Chunking Express. This man just ugh, dreamy. Symmetrical. So symmetrical. Great head of hair. And he looks like he could like cry at any moment, which is something I love in a man. Watery eyes. He Ooh. looks like he'd smell good Smells even when good. he smelled bad. Yes. Sort of thing. Ugh, love Tony Lung. And then number one on my list. So incredibly out of my league, but Evelyn Wang, played by Michelle Yeoh in the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And when I say Michelle Yeoh is like, every time I think about her and know that she exists, I get like a rush of dopamine. Yes. I'm obsessed. She is, she can do no wrong. She only gets better and better with age. I've been a huge fan of her for a long time. I actually rewatched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon the other day. Oh. My God, she is so incredible. When I say Michelle, you say yo, Michelle. Yo. Michelle. Yo. <laughs> yeah, I love her. Great choice. Thank you so much. And again, if you haven't seen this movie, I implore you. I beg you. <laughs> go see it for yourself. So to wrap things up, I have one more statistic for you. 37% of the movies I watched, or 16 of them, were movies with queer characters and queer storylines. I will say most of them were for the podcast, which I'm so 
grateful to have this podcast to expose me to all these wonderful things. Um, but also a lot of these were just for myself. So <laughs> who are we fooling? Who are we fooling? Come on. Um, so yeah, that concludes my presentation. Yay. I buy in. Is this Shark Tank? I yes. Will, I, I give you $5 million. I'll have my people call your people. Great. All right, Sam, it's your turn. All right. It's going to be hard to top. Your slides were really good. Mine don't look as good. But I know you got the stats to back it up, Virgo. Yeah. Welcome to Sam's Q2 Movie Roundup, you guys. Yeehaw. <laughs> she has a little animating, animated cowboy on her. <laughs> that cowboy looks like you. Thank you. Uh, Lizzie was worried that I would outdo her in this, and she lapped me by a mile. Her slides were so much cuter, and she had so many more. But I'm going to cash that in at the end, and you'll see why. So... I watched a total of 37 films this quarter. That means that's a total of a f one film for every 3.2 days. That's absolutely normal. Thank you. <laughs> I would say even regular humans who don't have movie podcasts watch that many movies. Is that an insult? You tell me. <laughs> I told Lizzie I was just like keeping track of my movies and then she started to and then every few days she'd be like, how many movies do you have? Well, the first time I checked, like when I started making my list, she already had like 30 movies for two months. And I was like, holy shit. I can't. For some reason, my competitive nature did kick in. I am just a human. But yeah. So I wait, how many did I watch? I think you were in the 40 somethings. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> you totally know how many movies you watch. You're so annoying. <laughs> uh, by far, the most movies that I watched happened to be in the 2000s decade. Mm. So that would be a total of 16 films that were released between the years 2000 and 2010. And a good majority of those films, I went back and rewatched things like Juno, Little Miss Sunshine, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And then I watched Garden State for the first time. I think I was just in the vibe of like watching early 2000s indie mm -hmm. films. I don't have great things to say about Garden State, but the rest of them are fantastic. Yeah, there are certain movies, like if you miss them at the time that they're released, I think that they lose a lot of their luster. Mm -hmm. And I could see Garden State being that one because I saw it at its time. I remember when it came out, like that soundtrack introduced me to a lot of those bands that are now, no one even listens to like the fucking shins anymore. I do. Anyway, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it was better when it came out because it was one of the few indie movies at that time that was very successful and had, like, such a killer soundtrack. And I would even put Juno on that list as well, like a killer indie movie with a great soundtrack. Yeah, the soundtrack on Juno, I think, laps Garden State by far. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that Garden State probably held more power when it came out. Watching it now in 2022, I was like, this is fucking tired. Yes, exactly. And then half of the other movies happened to be major franchise films that I watched one and then just ended up watching the rest of them. So like Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. I watched a bunch of those. Final Destination, watched a bunch of those. Step Up. <laughs> Lizzie and I watched a bunch <laughs> of Step Up together. We had a Step Up mini marathon. <laughs> which did you, which of the Step Up movies did you prefer? Step Up to the Streets. <laughs> With Moose. Yes, I think that one has the most dancing. Yeah. The first one, it's barely any dancing, which is weird. It's more drama than dancing. Yeah, which I'm, I came for but the dancing. But it has Channing Tatum. <laughs> it does. Looking good. He does look good. And then also the Fast and the Furious franchise, because obviously. 
because obviously. I ended up watching nine films just because they were new. Those movies include Everything Everywhere All at Once, Fresh, X, a smattering of other films. And they fell a lot of different places on the spectrum, the best being Everything Everywhere All at Once. And the worst definitely being Jurassic Park World (laughs) Dominion. (laughs) Jurassic World Dominion? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the worst by far. Uh, I also watched a good majority of films for the pod. So nine films just for this podcast. Lizzie touched on a bunch of them, and I ended up watching a few of them a couple of times, but I won't count them multiple times. But all the films were pretty good. There were some that were like a little lackluster, but I can say all of them are great. We truly covered some very good films the last few months. So, I mean, I'm looking at your list here and I'm like, oh, yeah, Miss Congeniality, such a great episode. Oh, yeah, Now and Then. Oh, yeah. I think Girl Interrupted is probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. But, you know, would you say all of these movies are gay? (laughs) (laughs) If I had to find a common thread. (laughs) But speaking of common threads, the only common thread throughout these movies that I can find that weren't based in the franchises, obviously, would surprisingly be Rita Wilson. (laughs) Huh. Really? Okay, so I know she's in Now and Then. Mm -hmm. What else is she associated with? So Rita Wilson plays Chrissy in Now and Then. Mm -hmm. She also is the producer of My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and she was also the producer of Mamma Mia. Damn, she has had a great career. She has some heavy hitters. Like, she doesn't miss. Which leads me to top five characters I have fake meet-cutes with in my head before I fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, how I lull myself to sleep at night. (laughs) Similar to Lizzie's top five characters she would kiss. This is in the same vein, but I just like to imagine that we're just chatting at a coffee shop. (laughs) For each one, can you describe to me what the meet-cute is that you have with that character? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, so coming in in fifth place would be Rachel or Mila Kunis in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh. Mila Kunis! (laughs) I did a deep dive on Mila Kunis after we watched this together. She's such an interesting person. She's incredibly interesting. I imagine the meet cute that I'd have with this character would be like, (laughs) I'm, you know, coming to the checkout or whatever at the hotel and she's just being really cute. Would you like, you would ask her out. A thousand percent. No, actually I wouldn't. I have a hard rule. I mean, obviously I'm in a relationship, so I wouldn't be asking any of these people out. I wouldn't be having meet cutes with any of these people. But um, these are bedtime fantasies, Sam. <laughs> I have a hard and fast rule not to hit on people at work. So if she like at your me, work or at anyone's work, like at your own work as well, I guess. But like specifically when someone's at work, you shouldn't hit on them. Yeah, because they can't leave. Yeah, exactly. They can't escape. So but then like how else are you meeting people? You know, like in the real world. For people who don't have long-term partners, how do you meet people? Capitalism is everything. Everyone's like always working. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You're never off. Capitalism is our dating site, but I refuse to hit on people at work. No, that's a good rule. It's very respectful. Number four would be Santana Lopez because I watched the Glee 3D (laughs) concert movie, so I'm allowed to pick this character. You're just going to like get by with having watched that movie this quarter and no one have known except for this. I could have let it slip under the radar, but I, I'm going to call myself out. I watched the Glee 3D concert movie because I'm a Gleek and Nai Rivera, Santana Lopez did incredible in this film. It's like a mockumentary style and her performance of Valerie. Probably one of the best in the series. Incredible. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, Number three spot goes to Chang from Happy Together. (laughs) 
He was almost on my list. He was like number seven, but I only did five. He's so cute. Like, um, obviously nothing would come of it. I'm a huge lesbian, but like, I imagine if I was single, we were at a party, like having a little meet cute. I'd be like, oh, he's so sweet. I mean, if you were going to kiss a boy, like, why not Chang? (laughs) Girl, same. Chang is a close second. I like men who seem like they can be gay. Happy together. Holy shit. That was another great episode. Bringing it back. Lee was on the episode. We Mm -hmm. had Charles on the episode. Holy shit. Star studded. Star studded. Which brings me to my second choice, which would be Catherine or Sarah Michelle Gellar in Cruel Intentions. You love to be tortured. I do. I like a very (laughs) specific type of person, and they're a type A controlling, has their shit together type of person. And although she is a villain, I understand. Uh, And don't care. I also do not care. I do not share (laughs) that same concern. And I would let her ruin my life. Yes. What would y'all's meet cute be? I would be like a service worker or something, and she'd be mean to me. And you'd be like, you shouldn't hit on people at work. I get off in 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You want to hit on me in 20 minutes? (laughs) Which leads me to my number one spot. Someone else who would be mean to me. And that is Maxine, played by Katherine Keener in Being John Malkovich. Yep. That checks out. Like, this is, looking at this list, I'm like, yes, this is. (laughs) (laughs) Three out of five of these characters would be super mean to me. (laughs) What, what do you see your scene with Maxine being? How would you meet Maxine? I think similar to being John Malkovich, I'm just like a dopey person that she patronizes and then tries to get money from. <laughs> All right. So this leads me to my honorable mention for this quarter, Ooh. which is Spring Awakening, Those You've Known. So Spring Awakening, Those You've Known is an HBO Max documentary which follows the revival, so to speak, a one-night revival of the original Spring Awakening with the original Spring Awakening cast. And the reason that I mention this is because I initially watched this because I heard there would be a story about how Leah Michelle showed Jonathan Groff her whole vagina when he told her that he'd never seen one in person. So I saw that on Twitter. I saw that there might be mention of that story. So I watched the whole documentary without ever having seen Spring Awakening. And it led me into a huge rabbit hole, like several rabbit holes. I'm listening. Rabbit holes include. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I went back and I watched so much Glee. It's crazy. Then I watched the Glee 3D concert movie in 3D. Wait, like with goggles or glasses and everything? No, I'm just, I didn't have the glasses, but I just want people to know that it was released in 3D. So you watched the 3D version without 3D glasses, so everything was just like blue and red a little bit? <laughs> they didn't. They never released a, a 3D version. It's just the same film in 2D. But they call it Glee 3D. Get out of my face. <laughs> At least Spy Kids did the honest thing of giving you glasses when they released it to video. The DVD came with glasses. I owned it. Also, I fell into the rabbit hole of Spring Awakening, a play I had never seen before. I tried to watch it in various different places and saw as many clips as I could. And then it pooped me out. These rabbit holes pooped me out right at the perfect time (laughs) for the Funny Girl Broadway revival drama. That is some cringy ass drama. So listeners, at the beginning of my presentation, I said that I didn't have very many slides, but I was going to cash in on that at the end. Okay. This is that moment. Let's go. May I present to you the Leah Michelle Funny Girl timeline? Jesus Christ. 
She's like, I didn't do much. Okay, and then in 1999. Uh, Lee, are you familiar with the Leah Michelle funny girl? Yo, I there was a day on Twitter where I was like, I have no idea what's going on. but <laughs> And I completely checked out, so I'm very, I'm here for this. This is like school. Got to take start taking notes. <laughs> All right, kiddos, get your notebooks, get your highlighters. Get ready because you're about to learn some things. You have my full fucking attention. At the young age of eight, Leah Michelle makes her first Broadway appearance as young cassette in Les Mis. She follows that up with an appearance on Broadway in Ragtime and then another appearance in Fiddler on the Roof, also on Broadway. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make, make me a, a match. match. <laughs> then in the year of 2006, she is cast as Wendla in Spring Awakening, along with Jonathan Groff. This is where we get that wonderful story about her showing him her whole vagina. Wait, wait, wait. How old is she at this time? Because she was just playing a little girl on Broadway, and now <laughs> she's showing some gay man her whole vagina. I think she she was most definitely 18. But, okay, she, but during the rehearsals, I think she was still 17. But um, by the time the story happens, she's a full-grown adult. And admittedly, she she said that she was in love with Jonathan Groff, didn't understand why he didn't love her. He's a gay man. When she learned that, she was like, I'll show you my whole vagina. You know, one of my only friends that I still keep in touch with from high school was a gay man that I was in love with. I wonder if he knows this. I wonder if he listens to this podcast. Did you show him your whole vagina? No, but if he would have asked, I would have been like, yeah, cool. <laughs> but like, not for like any nefarious reasons, like I'll get him to love me. Like by that time, I had let that, I had let that go, but... I'd be like, for science, for you, anything. This documentary is very, very good. I recommend it to everyone who likes Broadway or musicals or any of the sort. Before she shows him her vagina, before she realizes that he's gay, she remarks, like, every night we would go out after performing and I would sit in his lap and look at him and say, why don't you love me? And one night I, like, just realized and it clicked because he hadn't come out at that point. So she knew before anyone else knew, like, deep in her bones that he was a gay man. She's like... I'm throwing myself at him and he doesn't want me. He must be gay. <laughs> in this case, it's true. So in, in 2009, Leah Michelle is cast as Rachel Berry in the hit show Glee. Glee? Never heard of it. Hmm. It's hmm. a little underground. <laughs> Didn't run for very long. Not very mainstream. <laughs> so Rachel Berry is a performer, a singer. She's obsessed with Barbara Streisand. She's obsessed with Funny Girl. She was cast in 2009 and then in 2010 performed Don't Rain on My Parade at the 2010 Tonys, which is a bit of foreshadowing because that song is from Funny Girl. Yo, real quick. She really nails Barbra Streisand. Like so much so. It's it should be illegal. Like it's she's like an impersonator at this point. Basically. And like, how did you feel about Leah Michelle's character in Glee? Now that we've had a little pit stop at Glee, because mm -hmm. she's kind of like the Jenny Schechter of yes. the Glee universe, mm -hmm. and I hate Jenny Schechter, but I love <laughs> uh, what's Leah Michelle's character, Rachel Berry. Rachel Berry, but I love Rachel Berry. So, what, what's your stance? They're both the like chaotic glue that keeps the wheels moving. So the shows would both respectively kind of slow down without either of these characters. Leah Michelle was made to play Rachel Berry. Ryan Murphy at one point said that he didn't know if she was auditioning or just being herself and then just gave her the role. <laughs> Little did he know. Yeah. So in the fourth season of Glee, Rachel Berry's character auditions for the Broadway revival of Funny Girl. So they kind of predict it. 
and she gets the role. Whoa. So we're like living out Glee right now. She manifested this shit. Damn. That's kind of powerful. So in 2020, after Glee, years after Glee, diva accusations come out against Leah Michelle. As a Gleek, these rumors have been on the forums forever. Everyone assumed that Leah Michelle was kind of hard to work with. But in 2020, these rumors arised with people on Twitter stating that she would come up to them and say, ew, as background <laughs> characters on Glee. She told one co-star that if she had a chance, she would shit in her wig. <laughs> Which co-star? Her name was Samantha Ware. So she's not a main character. She's not a main character of the lead class, but she did have like a character arc in one of the seasons. I'm sorry. Is reading not fundamental? (laughs) Also, there's a conspiracy that she can't read. (gasps) No. (laughs) Like she's illiterate? Yes. Where did that come from? Uh, Some people on TikTok made a whole presentation about why they believe (laughs) that she's illiterate, but it's only being compounded now because when we see clips from the Spring Awakening revival... She doesn't, she's off book, which is an indicator that she's a professional, but also an indicator that she can't read. We're not seeing her read the script. Therefore, we're, it still keeps our theory alive. I think what set it off was there was a video in when she was like signing uh, an autograph and she had a hard time signing her own name and someone was like, she can't read. <laughs> hey, look, that's even more troubling. It's like, hey, she's having a stroke. People believe that all this buzz about her being a diva hindered her from actually getting the spot of Fanny Bryce. So in 2021, it's announced that Beanie Feldstein has been cast as Fanny Bryce in the Funny Girl revival. At this point in time, Twitter goes crazy. Leah Michelle is trending all over the place. Anytime they announce anything about Funny Girl, Leah Michelle trends. And Beanie Feldstein at one point said, I don't understand why she's trending because I guess she had never seen Glee. Yeah. But, Which surprises me, but also, ugh, I feel so bad for Beanie Feldstein. Yeah. So, so bad. Because I saw when she was announced as Fanny Bryce, and I was like, that's so cool. Like, I didn't realize she was from theater, but I could kind of get that from her background. And I like that take of the Fanny Bryce character, and she's also a very funny actress. I, w- I was pro. And then you started sending me these Leah <laughs> Michelle articles, and I was like... <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I, I feel her. I don't know if she feels this, but I feel imposter syndrome as her. I don't know. It's just not good. At the end of the day, it's not Beanie's fault yes. that this happened the way that it did. It's the producers from the show who could have foretold that this was going to happen to replace Barbara Streisand in this role is a humongous feat. Mm-hmm. You have to be an exceptional singer. And while Beanie Feldstein is incredibly funny, has great comedic timing, was very successful in Hello, Dolly! on Broadway. She does not have the singing chops to replace Barbara Streisand. Like, that's just it. Yeah, because that work, because I love that movie. I've never seen the play. I would love to, but it has some crazy ballads. Like, you have to belt in a way that only Barbara Streisand has been able to do. And what I would imagine, if I was producing this, only Leah Michelle could accomplish. Yeah, and... Like I was saying, like every time anything was announced, Leah Michelle would just trend on Twitter to the point where Leah Michelle had to make an announcement and say that she supported the new casting, even though she wasn't tied to the project before. I was going to ask, like, did she say anything about this? Mm -hmm. She vocalized that she was in support of the casting and wished Beanie the best. 
Well, that's very nice. That's not very diva-like of her. Poor Beanie is like, what does it matter that this random person from Glee is <laughs> yeah. confused? Aww. So in April of 2022, Funny Girl opens to mixed reviews from critics. Oh. And they call for a recasting of Fanny Bryce. They say that, unfortunately, Beanie has not been performing well in the role. It receives little to no Tony acknowledgement. So they get one nomination, uh, which was not for Beanie Feldstein. And funny enough, at that Tony's, Leah Michelle and the cast of Spring Awakening also performed. So it was just like a one-two punch. That's rough. Like, is Leah Michelle being... Because from, like, my outside, very outside gathering of information, like, Leah Michelle to me, seems like she's kind of being cast as, like, a little more antagonistic than she's being. Mm. But it's not really the case. It's just, like, the fans and the audience are demanding a fan service that isn't being provided. Yeah. And I think with the lore of Glee, like, as a shadow around Leah Michelle, people have said that her stint on Glee was an audition for Fanny Bryce, which I can see. Mm-hmm. But especially with the like diva accusations coming forward. I think people like to dog on Leah Michelle. I'm not a huge Leah Michelle fan, but as a person who understands the difficulty it takes to play a character like Fanny Bryce, I think that's the kind of dedication you have to present to do something like that. Yeah, like I'm not a big Leah Michelle fan when she's like not singing, but I have to say when that woman is performing in song, She's kind of unmatched in vocalizations, and specifically for that character, she really was made to play Barbara Streisand. Like, she looks like Barbara Streisand. She has the vocal range, practically, of Barbara Streisand. Mm -hmm. And, girl, if I had the opportunity to see Funny Girl with Leah Michelle as the head, that would be a dream come true. There's more timelines. So let's move on to our second timeline. (laughs) We have a second slide. So on June 6th, Beanie reports that she has come down with COVID. She has to step away, but she plans on coming back. So while she's away, her understudy performs for her and receives incredible critic reviews. The internet loves the understudy. Oh. I know. And then on June 15th, Beanie Feldstein says that she's going to come back the next day, but she plans on departing September 25th, so six months before her contract ends. Okay. On July 10th, less than a month after that announcement, Feldstein comes forward and says that her last day will actually be the last day of July. Okay. Which is like in three days. Yeah, her social – so she – Announces this on Instagram and says, once I realized that the production was moving in a different direction, I've decided to remove myself from the project. Aww. Yeah. And then the next day, Funny Girl production announces that they will be replacing her with Leah Michelle. And does the internet, like, shit in its wig? Every single point in this timeline, Twitter is losing its fucking mind. Leah Michelle is fucking trending. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Beanie Feldstein at this point is fucking freaking out every time she opens her phone. It's all about Leah Michelle. Ugh. And I think the on the part of the production to announce the recasting, like the second Beanie says anything, is not the most professional. Yes. One day later? Yeah. Not – I have to say the PR for this is a total mess. It really made all of the parties seem more shady than I'm sure that they were actually operating in. Mm-hmm. So 
Leah Michelle is announced as the new Fanny Bryce and the ticket prices surge. Damn. So for Leah Michelle's opening night as Fanny Bryce, the tickets are going as high as $2,500. <laughs> okay. When, when poor Beanie Feldstein was performing in July, the tickets were 69 bucks. Damn. I get it, though. <laughs> Dude, I'm so sorry. It's like putting Barbara in a time machine and putting her back on fucking stage. I feel so bad because I know that I would give my left tit to be there opening night. Yes. Oh, God. Yes, you're right. Ugh. It does make me want to, like, go to New York and see it. Yes. I mean, I'm not paying 2500 but, you know, once this all calms down in, like, January. So that brings us to now, current day. We have months before the opening with Leah Michelle to see how that goes across with critics. I mean, okay, but yes. I can imagine how it will happen. <laughs> but with all that being said... I do believe that Rachel Berry manifested this for herself. I also believe that she might be playing Alphaba in a revival of Wicked. Oh, my God. Because she's like, if Adina Menzel and Barbara Streisand had a fucking love child, it would be Leah Michelle. In the Glee universe, Rachel Berry is raised by two gay men, but she finds her biological mother in the second season, and her biological mother is played by Adina Menzel. Yeah. And they look exactly I, the same. Identical. And she sings a, a various amount of songs from Wicked. Mm -hmm. And there's only so many people that can hit that note at the end of Defying Gravity. The, yeah. Ah, you know yeah. that? Oh, oh yeah. I know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I had to put my money on something that would be happening in the next 10 to 20 years, I would say Leah Michelle would also be the next alphabet. I'm sorry. One to two years, Max. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like within the next three months, that is going to be an announcement. All right, folks. So we deviated from the standard Q2 roundup format, but I had all this information and I just couldn't be alone with it. Well, they're, lucky for you, there is no standard roundup format because this is the first time we're doing this. <laughs> you, set the, you set the bar high for next quarter. I will be discussing Lee Michelle every chance that I get. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That is my presentation. <laughs> you know, I have to say, your quarter two is just as embarrassing as mine. I would say mine more so. What do you think was the most watched genre of your quarter the most watched for me was i think was romantic comedies as well we watch a lot of romantic comedies we're gonna run out eventually don't say that <laughs> we'll just rewatch that shit so do you have any predictions for your next quarter oh that's a good question i've really been in the mood to go to the movies so i predict this next quarter i will see a lot of low quality summer releases <laughs> yes exactly i think i had like six films I saw in theater. So I'll try to to go even more if that means watching terrible movies that come out in the middle of summer. Yes. And also we invited Lee Garcia, our producer, to be a member of our quarter three roundup club. All right. I got to see some movies. I was telling you guys, I don't watch enough movies, but I would I'll... love your roundup to be like six movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Mask. The Mask 2. I love The Mask. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, guys. Um, feel free to send us your quarterly roundup if you're so inclined. Uh, but thank you for listening to ours. Yes, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Fan Service. Fan Service.